0: you would turn in your Bibles to John, chapter 7, verses 53 through chapter 8, verse 12. And I'll ask you to stand this morning as we read together. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using that question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to grow, go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. They were in the middle of having sex. Naked and sweaty, he was married to someone else and she, well, she had been promised that he loved her. He didn't. None of them ever did. Instead, she found that over and over and over, they were users and heartbreakers. And yet, here she was. They didn't even knock. They came in like they owned the place and grabbed her. Only her, never him. She knew then that this one was the worst kind of user. He had likely been a part of the scheme to get her in trouble from the outset. Liars and cheats, all of them, every last one of them, she thought, as they dragged her among them, naked and afraid, trembling in the cool air of the morning. Some of them stopped to pick up stones. They were going to be ready for the ultimate condemnation. Their heavy breathing and grabbing hands were the only things she knew for sure. They arrived at the temple court. There was a man, too, another one, ready to condemn, to judge, She had heard of this one, wandering about Galilee in the countryside, healing people, casting out demons, preaching, even feeding people. As she stood there, freezing and alone, she waited to hear what he would have to say to her. She was caught in the act of adultery. We are commanded to stone her. What do you say? The leader of the group sneered the words at the teacher. No words about the man who had shared her bed. No words about the fact that they set her up. Was this man like the others? What would he say? Nothing for a moment. He said nothing. He knelt and picked up a stone too. No, he dropped it and said, Any of you who are without sin should be the ones to start. And then he began writing, greed, lust, thievery, lying, scheming, these words in the dust. She scrunched her eyes closed and waited for the pain of the first rock to pelt her sweaty skin. Instead, she heard the soft plunk of dropping rocks, the quiet shuffle of retreating feet, The oldest ones, they must have had the most to account for or recognized their complicity first. They walked away before the younger. But the younger ones, too, let loose their grasp of her arms and dropped their stones and left. Perhaps too stunned to consider fully what had just happened. Jesus lifted his eyes to her. He smiled a bit. He said in an almost mocking tone, What is No one left to condemn you? No, sir. She stumbled out the words, mostly afraid to really understand what was happening. Then I do not either. Go and sin no more. And she saw that he could have condemned her. He could have thrown a stone in answer to his own challenge. But instead, he wiped away the words of deeds and sins that he had scratched in the dirt. And he challenged her to be different. He challenged her to do better. But he did not throw a single stone to do it. Instead, as she hustled away to find clothes in a new morning, birth of second chances, she realized that nothing for her would ever be the same. She would follow this man, this one who was so different, and so better, and so words failed her. But the word made flesh. He did not. I am the light of the world, Jesus said after this scene. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This whole scene was calculated and constructed by men who were so certain of their rightness that when they were confronted by actual light, by the one who could truly change how they saw things and make them truly righteous, they were incapable of recognizing it but it did show them who they really were. It did make them aware of just how much they missed the mark. Still, they were far more concerned with being right, with pointing out the error in the other, than they were with their own limits and failures. We, too, construct opportunities to be right, to be sure of where we stand, sure of how correct our opinions are. To be fair, sometimes our judgments are true, sometimes our pronouncements on the wrongs of another, just like the teachers of the law in this scene, we are 100% on point and also 100% off base. We tell ourselves that sending children to concentration camps is okay because their parents didn't follow the law. We insist that baking a cake for a gay wedding is akin to surrendering our core beliefs. We decry people who kneel, but also people who raise their voices and march. We judge based on what people buy, the curse words they say, the tattoos they have on their bodies, the things that scare us or make us uncomfortable. But we also stand proud of our resistance to all of those things and judge those who speak out against them. We point to this sin or that sin that we see someone else doing, and we forget that our sins, too, are worthy of judgment. We forget that Jesus came to give us abundant life, a life where we can be light and salt and peace to others, not by telling them all the things they've gotten wrong, but by showing them all the ways that Jesus has made the wrong things right. Showing them the places where the brokenness we have known has been swept away, and the scars that remain on us are reminders of the love that we have been shown by the light of the world. Where there is light there is no longer any darkness. Where the light shines we now only see we not only see ourselves more clearly but we see the wounds of the other more clearly. Are we asked to wound deeper those who already have wounds or are we called to help them heal even when we disagree? Does Jesus call us away from living in sin? Yes. But as much as he has done that for us, he is also the one who makes a way for us to do it. He doesn't ask us to condemn our neighbor as they do something we know or believe to be wrong. Instead, he asks us to show our neighbor what it looks like to love Jesus. Today we celebrated a baptism. As part of that, we welcomed a baby to the community of church the place where we can all disagree about everything else, but we all agree that the Jesus who lived and died and rose again did so in order to show us a more perfect way, to show us how to be set apart by being more loving and more kind and more light than we could have ever been on our own without Jesus and without each other. So what happens when our lives reflect the light of the world instead of trying to point the light accusingly at our fellow humans? It would seem that Jesus was making that very point in this situation. The teachers of the law were ready to destroy another person in order to prove their own perfection. And Jesus simply reflected that same spotlight back on them, showing them one at a time and all together how very much they were still missing. Eventually, the teachers of the law would decide that they did not like this turn of events and they would find a way, they thought, to be rid of this Jesus person. Eventually, we all have the same choice to make. We can either choose to live lives that reflect the light of the world, or we can do our best to exclude this Jesus person from our lives because he makes us uncomfortable makes us think about how we do things, makes us want to do and be better. It is the gift of God that we have the opportunity every day to choose, to decide whether or not we will surrender ourselves to the love and light that is Jesus, or allow ourselves to be swayed and driven by our selfishness and darkness. Jesus wants only for us to know we are loved and to live abundant lives of grace and peace and hope and love. We want what our own way is more often than not. And when we choose that, we remain in the darkness that would keep us from a relationship with God, that would keep us from being who we were actually made to be whole persons living in the light and love of a gracious Redeemer. All of us have the opportunity to reflect that light. And today, as we get ready to remember what it means to say God loves, I would ask you to consider for yourself whether or not you intend to reflect the light of the world or to use it as a weapon against others. If everyone would pull out their blue sheets, if you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll grab them for you. And then if you would say whatever is bolded on your page as we read along. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves us to create us, to form us from the dust. God loves us to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's. To let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loves us to provide a rescue, a way back. Through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God us To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God us To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God us To send us Jesus the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loves us enough. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loves us enough. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. God loves us to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life, infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved, God loves us to still let us choose our own destiny, God loves us to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. Beloved, God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.